Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asm.au. And we're going to be continuing our series in the book of James. We're going to get straight into it today. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. And what's going to happen is uh, James is going to frame a a problem or an issue that's happening. And then he's going to kind of open that up and break that down. And so we're going to start going to go straight into verse 13 uh, and look at what that problem is. And then we're going to think about what that problem is. uh, And then we're going to get into it as well. So uh, James chapter 4, verses 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. This is our problem that James is going to talk about. Uh, And the issue is not about making plans. Uh, It's not about being organized. So if you're organized, keep up the good work. That's great. It's not about uh, how, how you're going about making money. But the issue that James is trying to unpack here is how we love to be in control. Like, we, we love control, we love to be in control, and, and there's a little bit of control freak in all of us. I'm very much a control freak, I like to be in control, I don't know about you, but control is something that is something that we like to have. We like to be in control. Uh, and so, to give you a bit of an example of how that looks and how that plays out, we're going to look a little bit at the story of Abraham to kind of illustrate it a little bit and to flesh it out. And what we'll see uh, when it comes to control in relation to God, uh, God makes a plan and a promise. Uh, he, he shows how He is good and faithful and in control. Uh, and then what Abraham continuously does, he goes and takes control for himself. I'll show you what I mean. So if, we, if you want to head, uh, we're going to go to Genesis uh, chapter 12, uh, and we're going to be looking at a few verses through uh, Genesis. Uh, so we're going to start in chapter 12, verse 7. So God makes a promise to Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so there's two things that are going on in this promise. One, there's going to be land. Uh, and in order for your offspring to have land, you have to have what? Offspring. That's right. Okay, so God makes a promise, there's going to be offspring, there's going to be land, things are looking great. Uh, And then we continue on in chapter 12, we get to verses 11, and what happens? As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. That's good, that's good marriage. Uh, When the Egyptians see you, uh, they will say, this this is his wife, then we will kill him, uh, but... Uh, let you live. Uh, So say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. How do you have offspring? With a spouse. If you give up your spouse, you can't have the offspring. So Abraham is worried uh, that they're going to kill him because he's married uh, to this lovely lady. Uh, But instead he says, if you say you are my sister, you can marry someone else and no one's going to try and kill me and take you as as my wife. So Abraham tries to take control and take things into his own hands. He's not certain that God's promise is going to come to fruition. So instead he tries to take control. This is an issue. Uh, If we continue on, we get to chapter 13, and so God comes in, God saves the day, He brings uh, Sarai back to Abraham, and things are back in action. Uh, We get to chapter 13, verses 14 to 16, uh, and then it says, The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and the south, and to the east and the west, all the land that you will see uh, will will be given to you and your offspring forever." 
I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. It's a lot of offspring. God's, God's continuing with Abraham. Look, this is my promise. This is what's going to happen. I'm in control. I'm powerful. I'm good. I'm faithful to my promises. Uh, and then even to make it better, uh, Abra- so God keeps promising to Abraham to make sure that he's really enforcing. If you go to chapter uh, 15, verses 5, uh, he took him outside and said, look up to the sky and count the stars. If indeed uh, you can count them, he said, so shall your offspring be. There's going to be a lot of offspring. Things are looking good. We get to verse 16, uh, verses 1 to 2, uh, and we have this problem again. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. This is not something that she's keen on, by the way. This is not something that's just an Old Testament thing. This is bad. Uh, and... and uh, so you sleep with my, so um, have my slave um, named Hagar. Um, so she said to Abraham, the Lord is, um, yeah. So anyways, he goes and sleeps with her uh, and has a child, Hagar and Ishmael. That's where we get that story. Not following God's command, trying to take control for themselves uh, and trying to do things their way. God, I'm not sure if you understand how biology works. God, I, I just don't think you understand my situation. So I will take things into my, I'll take control, I'll do it my way, and then you, you can carry on kind of telling me about your promise. So what does God do? God comes back again. All right, Abraham, let me make this very clear. Uh, chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. Uh, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings of peoples will come from her. God is making the promise very, very clear because Abraham didn't really seem to get that at that point. And we get to verse 18, God sends three visitors. Uh, we get to 18, chapter 10, uh, verse 10. Uh, then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year uh, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent which was behind him, Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so Sarah laughed to herself. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? God, you don't understand biology. I'm not sure if you, you took the classes. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return uh, to the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. God, your hearing's gone. But he said, yes, you did laugh. This is a problem. Get to verse 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and for a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. What does Abraham do? Takes control. Not sure if this promise is legit. Not sure if, like, you need to stay married to, to Sarah if you're going to have a kid with Sarah. If God's made the promise, it's probably going to happen. But Abraham continues to take control for himself and think, God, I don't think you understand how this works. I don't think you understand this king or this nation. I don't think you really have control of this situation. And so Abraham takes control. 
And for us, we, we have a different promise. We have a promise in Jesus. We, we have a promise in Jesus, which means an eternal relationship with God, a restored relationship with God, a promise that involves grace and mercy, one where God is the king of our lives. And often we, we act as if that promise, like God isn't quite in control of that promise and God doesn't really know what he's doing. God doesn't really understand us. And so we said to God, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to take control here and take this out of your hands because I don't think you really know what's going on because there's a little bit of control freak in all of us. And we're not necessarily giving our spouse to nation leaders, but there is stuff that we do where we do things our own way and take control. When we get to, to James 14 and 15, uh, this is where we start to unpack it. It says, why, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. We're not actually in control. And as much as we feel like we're in control, and it's not like we can feel like we can control, we're a mist. What does a mist do? It just disappears. It's not in control of itself, it just disappears. Every moment, God is in control. We can go home, we, like, anything can happen. God is in control of every single moment. God is in control of every single part of our lives. As much as we feel like our intelligence, our, our wisdom, our power, our, our, our finances, feel like we can control the situation, every moment is the grace of God. And, and, and what, what James is saying is not to say, if you say these special words, then you're doing the right thing before God. He's not saying, if it's the Lord's will, we're not going to say, I'm going to go to the toilet, Lord willing. That's not what we're going for. But what we're saying is that we understand that it is God who is in control. And the key difference between those passages, if you look at, if you look at James in verse 13, uh, so it says, uh, so today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. The key difference uh, in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if, it is Lord, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. And then he goes on. We will live. Every moment of our life is grace from God. Everything that we do is grace from God. Everything that we have is grace from God. As much as we feel like it is our control and our skill level, it is all grace from God. The skill that you, that you use to, to do whatever you've managed to do in life, it is grace from God. Every, everything that you, you know, every smart thing that you said it is grace from God. It is God who gives everything. It is God who sustains us. It is God who gives us everything that we have. And if we live, we will do this or that but by the grace of God. And so it's not about us saying something special, but us understanding that everything is grace from God. Abraham continues to try and take control of the situation. He continues to forget that God is actually the one that's in control. God knows what's going on. God has a pretty good idea of how biology works because he made it. God has a pretty good idea about how the king is going to act because he can, he can make them dream things. He can control everything and God continues to, to bail them out because God is God and God can do anything. 
And God is in control of the situation, despite how much Abraham is trying to take control and trying to be on top of things and trying to, to use his power and influence and his, his little witty things of, of pretending that his wife is his sister, uh, which he can't, she kind of was, but that's a different thing. Uh, but, but, that's, but that's what Abraham, like Abraham thinks he's taking control, but he's not. God is in control. It is grace from God and it is God who is in control. When we get to verse 16, it says, As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. And this is, this is our problem with our, our need for control. It is like we're a little bit arrogant. And I know for me, I'm very arrogant. And what we do is that we, we feel like our goodness and our power are better than God's goodness and His power. And so we, when, when God makes a promise and gives us hope in Jesus and, and tells us about what a life with Jesus is and, and how good it is to have a relationship with Jesus, how good that is, we're like, oh, actually, I think it'll be more good for me to do it this way. And so we reject God and His commands. Or, we, or if God makes a promise that, that He has us for eternity, we're like, whoa, like... like but I've also got this. We think that we're more, we'll be more powerful uh, because we, you know, we've been given this really, really good intelligence and this really, really good job that we've worked really, really hard for because we've got a good work ethic, uh, not like the younger generation these days. Uh, but, but this is how we think. This is, we, we have all these things that we've earned. We're smart, we're intelligent, we work hard and, and look at what we've done for ourselves. We don't need God. It's arrogance. We think our, our power and our goodness is better than God's. And, the, and that's what Abraham does. He, he, he's, um, he's not sure if God is good with his promise. He's like, oh, like it seems good, but rather, rather kind of just let my wife go off there and make sure I live just in case he's, he forgets his promise. And I'm not sure if he's powerful enough to kind of influence this king, and I'm not sure if he's powerful enough to influence biology because that's pretty, pretty set in stone. Uh, but, but God is more powerful, and God is more good than we could ever hope to be. And the greatest irony of, of our goodness and power is that it is something that is given to us by what? God's grace. The thing that we brag about and the thing that we, we use to try and distance ourselves from God and separate ourselves from God and try and do our own independent thing is with the stuff that we have been given by God. And so this is the thing that you have to think about is, is like we, we have these gifts from God and these gifts from God are, are, is, is grace from God that is, is so that we can draw closer to God. The gifts that God has given us, whether like our intelligence, our, our sporting ability, our, our work ethic, you know, even our situation to be here in Australia, which is really amazing, all of that is a gift from God that God has given us to draw close to Him. But often we use those gifts so we can push further away from Him and be our own independent thing. So we try and use this, this good, this, these things that we've been given to, to go off and do our own thing and be like, God, I don't need you because look how good I am. And God's like, oh, I gave you that. It's not that great. Do you want to, we can do trivia. Like, we, like God is so much greater and so much more powerful and, and, and it is completely ironic and arrogant and unbelievable that we would use those gifts to run off and do our own thing. It is for God's glory and it's by God's grace that any of that stuff exists. Do your gifts bring you closer or further from God? 
because that's what they're there for. They're for bringing you close to God and bringing others close to God. Not so that you can boast about them. Not so that you can have all these arrogant schemes that you're, you know, you're, man, like, look how good I am. Look what I've done. That's not the economy of God. That's not the economy of God. We haven't earned these gifts. We haven't earned our work ethic. It's all grace by God. It's all grace from God. It is stuff that God has given us so that we can draw closer to Him and enjoy Him. So that people can see how great God is and enjoy Him. We live because of grace. We continue on because of grace. Abraham continued to reject God and and walk away from Him, but by grace, God brought him back. It is by grace. And the gifts are for bringing a, a grace from God to bring us to Him and to glorify Him. When we get to verse 17, it says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. And so as, as we gather as Christians and as we learn about the grace of God and understand the grace of God more, we put off our arrogance. We stop seeing our power as our power that, that helps us to be independent from God and, and rise above the need to come to God for things or, or to think of ourselves as really good people that we've earned this situation before God or, or before people. We understand that it is grace from God and, and we aim to do good. And for, for God, like, that's the economy. We come before God and be like, look how smart I was. God's like, I made you that smart. Tell me more. If, if we say, look how hard I worked, 60-hour weeks, whole way through. God's like, I gave you a good work ethic. Look how long I lived and look at all these finances that I managed to accumulate. God's like, I, I gave that to you. I could have, could have sent another you know, could have crashed the stock market and you would have been lost. It's all from God. What God wants to see is what did you do with what you had? If you knew good and you had that grace that I gave you, how did you draw close to me? What was the good that you did? What was the fruit that you bore? How did you understand the grace of God and how did you draw close to me with what I gave you? Don't tell me about how good you were because that is, that is all what I gave you. It's about the fruit that we bear, not the skills that we were given. And we, as we do that, we, we cease to take control and see ourselves as this person that's kind of like this little, little God running around taking control of the world. And instead, we, we start to to see God's goodness and His power and live according to His promises. And for Abraham, as time went on, he, he eventually got it, sort of. He, he, he started to understand that God was faithful, that God was good, that God was more power, and that taking control is pointless and useless and arrogant and completely nullifies the greatness of God. So Abraham has a son, he calls him Isaac, and one day God says, take your son to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him. 
So what does Abraham do? Abraham takes Isaac to the top of the mountain because he knows that God is in control. And he knows that trying to take control and trying to overcome God's plans and do things his way because he's worried about this offspring that he's supposed to have and, and losing this only son that he has and, and all this stuff going out the window, he takes Isaac to the top of the mountain. And as he's taking Isaac to the top of the mountain, he's not sure what's going to go on. As far as he's concerned, God's going to have him to sacrifice his one and only son. And his son will be gone, his lineage will be gone, the promise will be gone. And as Abraham's at the top of that mountain, as he's about to, to drop the dagger down through the heart of his son, God tells him to stop, and God provides a substitute. There's a ram stuck in the bush nearby. Abraham understands that he's not in control, that God's in control, that God's promises are good, that God is powerful, and that no matter what God says and what God's promised, he is true and faithful to his promises, that God is in control, and that us trying to take control is useless. We can plan and we do those things because that is good, but we don't act as if we are powerful and we are the ones that organize. We're not God. God is God, and God is in control, and Abraham gets it. And the cool thing about that story is that Isaac goes on, he has kids, his sons have kids, they have kids, and before you know it, they're, they're all over the place. They're more numerous than the sand, they're, they're more numerous than the stars in the sky. And, and the, the greatest thing is from that line, God sends his son into that line. And God marches him up a hill. And God sacrifices him for us. See, Abraham didn't make, didn't, God didn't make Abraham do that. God did it himself. God sacrifices his own son on the top of the mountain. So that despite all the times we try to take control for ourselves, we can be restored. Despite all the times that we, we, we run away from God and try and use our, our power and our goodness and, and the things that God has freely given us to reject Him and do things our own way, we can be restored and redeemed. God sends His Son to the top of the mountain so that we can have life. God sends his son to be the sacrifice for us. And so we're going to go into a time of communion and we're going to think about that. God sends his son. This is a, a promise that, that God makes that is hard to comprehend. The fact that despite how we continue to be control freaks, 
God still has grace for us. Despite the fact that we're a little bit arrogant and we try and use our own goodness and our own power to trump the the goodness and power that God has, but God still has grace for us. And the fact that God would do that by sending His Son to the top of that mountain to die for us is something that is hard to, to come to terms with. And so as we, as we remember that, we, we, have, we have a cracker and we have this, this juice and we, we remember the, the, the body of Jesus broken for us so that we could have grace and restoration with God. And, and as, we, as we drink the cup, we remember the, the blood that poured out of Jesus' body as he was sacrificed on that hill for us. And so as we, I'll let you eat in your own time, we'll drink together in a little bit after a bit of reflection. But this, this was something that was a sacrifice to make up for the, mis- the, the, the fact that we are control freaks and do our own thing. So why don't you think about that? The fact that God would sac- sacrifice his own son for us. Have some time for reflection, eat, eat the cracker in your own time, and then we'll drink together. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the, the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. As we finish up, um, the bank account too, if they want. And I want us to think about the grace that we have received. Think about God's Son who was sacrificed on that hill for us. Think about how we want to submit to the power and goodness of God and not take control for ourselves. Not forget the promise and try and do things our own way, but instead to use the grace that God has given us to bear good fruit. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to bear good fruit with what God has given us and the grace that God has for us. Let me pray and the band can sing one more song. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. Despite the fact that we try and take control for ourselves, the fact that we, we go our own way and, and try and, and think that your promise isn't necessarily good or, or you don't know what's going on, but God, you are in control. 
we have your grace and we live by your grace and everything that you have given us is your grace. Help us to see that, that we are a mist. We're just passing by and, and as much as we feel like we're in control, we're just not God. So help us to realize that and see how great and powerful you are and to use what you have given us to bear good fruit. In your name we pray. Amen.